welcome back to our official kickoff game session of Desperation Point. I'm your game master, Daniel Fox. You can't see them, but you'll hear them. It's the cult, the gang, the people who made Zweihander amazing and are working on Project 1776. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hey. hey. Hello. Hello. Uh, it's weird. I don't know about you, but I keep, uh, I, I feel this need to emote like physically because we do that when we record <laughs> when we're in person and and this being our first well first official uh, first official recorded session now like gesticulate wildly um our first session uh in a while um i have i don't know i just feel this weird desire in fact i was talking to somebody about this just the other day about like when we go, when we record or go on stream, like there's like something, at least inside of me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but there's something inside of me that like clicks and like there's like a, a weird, the performance mode shows up, right? And I think, I think I do this just when we play games in general. Like I don't think it's necessarily tied to recording, although I can't remember a time when we weren't recording at this point, which is weird. It, it's just also natural to us now, right? Mm. I don't know if you've experienced the same, at least doing your your um, your games at your house, Adam. Well, I mean, we haven't really recorded. It's just that we've got a backlog. That's more or less yeah. Yeah. how much. I mean, we haven't played since February, right? Yeah. Or January. Jeez. Um, yeah, because I remember we were like, all right, we're going to get back into it. And COVID. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, darn. But, yeah. Uh, for our listeners, you know that we stopped playing uh, Queen of Embers back in late, early, beginning of March on episode 69. Um, we were to the eighth and final act of the story. And we played a few games in between. We actually talked about it during uh, session zero. Um, we played a little kind of side thing called a lakeside story and did some play testing. I'm, I almost called the game what's called... Um, Project 1776. Um, and then we decided to do record a new game because we are not going to resume Queen of Embers until things are safer out there. Um, Tim Coron, who was with us previously, needs to take a little bit of a break for work. So it's just going to be Adam, Nick, Kay, Mike, and myself for this new game at De called Desperation Point. And this actually takes place this actually is kind of going back to a story we we we, we told way 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 back when um with and, and, and now we're returning with brand new characters so um i think maybe we could just start around the virtual table um and because everyone is arranged differently on zoom um i'm just gonna call out who should go first so Kay, if you would just introduce yourself and tell us about who, who you'll be playing during desperation point Okay. Uh, hi, my name is Kay, or Kayla, or Squiffles, if you go by my name on social media. Um, I was a beta tester, or have been a beta tester for quite a few years for Zweihander, and as far as my character, uh, his name is Keegan, uh, sweet Shug, uh, Shug being his last name. Um, Keegan is a, uh, second, I'm bringing up his character sheet, of course. Keegan is a middle-aged, um, light tan skin, husky build man with ginger hair and ice blue eyes. Um, he's missing an eye. Uh, he, is, he has the motto of hard work betrays none, and his 
character type is actually he is a burger valet. Hmm. Where did he? Why did he lose his eye? Um, childhood accident. Nothing big. Nothing really traumatic. Um, Leave it behind most, at a friend's house or something. Just lost. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes when you're a kid, you just lose your possessions. That's right. I misplaced um, actually, my toy in my eye. <laughs> actually, what he has is a bunch of burn scars. Um, so kind of what happened is that uh, he got burned across his face, and unfortunately, that caused him to lose mm. his eye. So we've got uh, Keegan, the valet. Let's move on next to Adam. Hello, I'm uh, Adam Rose. I'm principal of Grand Parallelist, rules developer on uh, Zweihander, and uh, some of the other fun stuff coming out, Project 1776, doing a little work there too. Um, I am playing a character named Collinsworth Redding. Uh, it's uh, Collinsworth is an Airedane male uh, animal tamer, and uh, uh, let's see here. They've got um, their regular height. They're lean. They dress fashionably. Um, he's got large green eyes, kinky brown hair, a widow's peak, uh, and then they're motto is cause strike deepest from the shadows so <clears throat> one thing that listeners probably will learn as we play we're actually using the project 1776 rules in our Zweihander game so um, you'll hear some new game mechanics that may be found in this new awesome rpg that's coming out soon for our patrons obviously you're gonna hear about it first so um, let's move on next to nick Hey, Nick. Hey, I am Nick O'Hare, and I am a playtester for Zweihander and other Grim and Perilous projects yet to be unnamed. Um, and I, to, for this game, I am playing Osbert Clumsy Mannering, who is a jester. Uh, male with lean build, pale skin, gray eyes, straight blonde hair, thick, luscious eyelashes and extravagant style. Uh, his motto is, the truth is just an excuse for a lack of imagination. Love it. It's good. It's good stuff. And those mottos, by the way, uh, for those who don't know, were found in Project 1776. In fact, we will talk about what that means in just a few moments, but let's, let's last but not least, let's move to, let's move to, to El Jefe, Mike the Boss Bossler. Um, do you think uh, you could give me permission to see his sheet? Because all I can see is his uh, bio and info. Sure. I'll give everybody permission to view everything. So, so Mike, uh, tell us tell us about your character. So, uh, Calvin Redding, or Calvin Linden is his middle name, uh, short for Cal L, um, uh, is one of many Reddings. He is a brother to uh, Collingsworth. And... Um, uh, let's see here. I would say that uh, Calvin is a nature lover. Uh, I think he kind of was raised as a spoiled brat and then kind of ended up uh, due to an accident becoming a bit more down to earth. Uh, he will be playing a what was it again? What am I playing? <laughs> hedgewise. I'm hedgewise. That's right. That's right. Hedgewise. Um, 
You're very yeah. smart about shrubbery. That's what a hedge wise is. <laughs> yeah. Shrubbery <Yeah>. mastery. <laughs> yes. I can bring you the best of shrubberies. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, brother uh, to Collinsworth, uh, he has uh, a very strong belief in friendship. He believes that chosen bonds are as strong as iron and he'll fight along as friends and fellows to the end of the earth. Uh, but he does have a bit of a disobedient side to him. Uh, he doesn't like being told what to do and may choose a path simply just to spite others. So does is uh, does is is Calvin Redding's mono cash me outside? How about that? It, it, it might be. I think officially, uh, let's see. Nature is pleased with simplicity. Mm-hmm. Is his motto. That's good. But, so, so basically, cash me outside. I catch me outside. How about that? Trimming yeah. shrubs as a hedge wise. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so one thing that I think everybody, just a reminder for the players and for our listeners, I suppose, um, is that remember, um, you gain 25 reward points for every hour we play. Um, and in fact, uh, you need to take great care to invoke your motto in a role play way at some point during the game, because that's how you earn an additional 100 reward points. So, yeah, so that's, that's nice. That's a, that's, a good, that's a good motivator. You could technically walk away from a game session with 200 reward points. So that's the, the first thing to, to remember uh, now that we are using parts of Flames of Freedom. So we are going to be journeying in the North. And I think before we move forward, uh, I should, well, yeah. So we need to figure out where the story starts. And this is really up to the four of you. Will the story start on the approach to Stonehold? Or will you already be in Stonehold? Mm-hmm. It's your choice. You may take a vote. You may speak aloud what you like to do. No private messaging. What, what, where do you want, how do you want the game to begin? I'm still trying to get a hold of uh, Mike's character sheet. Sorry, right, I was waiting. So, but to to but, to to address the question again, though, um, where do you want to start the game? I wouldn't mind starting there. Um, yeah, I don't know that we need travel. Little wilderness travel. I like a little wilderness travel. I think um, I'd like to start outside. Um, personally, I'm kind of interested what, yeah, uh, what some of the outside areas of Stonehold look like, the surrounding countryside, given that they were ravaged by the Marcher Lords. Yeah, so um, we'll we'll get into the story yeah. soon, but the fundamental question is, will it start? outside of Stonehold? Let's start in Stonehold. I think Nick's the only one that has like a strong preference one way or the other. So I guess out. I, I think since Stonehold is like the like so, somewhat of a centerpiece to the story, um, I think like having a grand entrance almost with like a title card that appears when, when we catch sight of Stonehold is like kind of a cool moment um, I saw it first. The Assassin's Creed uh, yes. screen pops up. 
20 minutes into the game. <laughs> right, yeah. 20, two, 20 minutes to two hours in the game. And it says, it's why Andrew <laughs> Grim and Perilous Studios presents. <laughs> so we can have those same things for the characters that's like Inglorious Bastards or Borderlands. Like uh, <laughs> Calvin Reddy. Calvin so you can get an amazing song. I I have I have shared everybody's character sheets out with everybody. Does everybody have access now to answer the yeah, question? Okay. okay, so who votes for starting on the approach to Stonehold? Please raise your hand. No. Oh gosh, yeah. So it's sure, literally everybody. It's not start yeah. inside because I, I, I'm gonna. I will be completely transparent. I am planning to prepare nothing. For this game, oh, I'm going to run this completely on the fly. Now, obviously, knowing you know, having played this game world for a long time, I think I kind of know stuff. But I'm not going to do no. any form of preparation. I'm curious how it's going to go. Um, and I thought that we would start by giving you the choice where to begin. So let's let's begin. So this is the point where the title card for Desperation <laughs> Point begins. Cue music. And literally, I know people are listening to this. This is the point where I'd actually have the title card come up and it would play like the the snow kind of coming in, right? Because it's winter time. I think it's winter. Is it, is it winter time? Yes. I okay, mean, so. it's not raining, it's snowing. Right. <laughs> I, think, I, think Ross, I think Mike's biggest thing is that uh, all Zweihander games, uh, including Radiator, seem to start in fall. Yeah. So t tell me, if it's snowing, is this winter or is it snowing in an unusual month i would say it's late spring yeah i'm gonna Why go don't we arrive in winter that's horrible <laughs> yeah nobody wants to arrive in winter way in the north so it's late spring like april to may okay so let's let's say april 1st and i think because it's april 1st this this almost demands Collingsworth gets the spotlight because he is the, the jester, the japester, the jokester, the clumsy. Osbert. But yes. Osbert. Osbert, tell you're by the fireside and on the first of April. It's the night father's day, as they call it. The day of pranks, the day of jokes, the day of japes. And perhaps because it is you, you would of course be the center of attention. It's your day. It's like it's like having another name day, just all for yourself. Crowned in motley, that's been sun bleached, the colors washed away over time. This young or old? Uh, mature. Mature. So yeah. Probably in his late 40s, early 50s. Old japester. He's kind of worn out his welcome, and he's, of course, with all of you, <laughs> you this motley crew of animal tamers and valets and jesters and hedgewives. I mean, you may be a three-ring, a four-ring circus. But no, uh, Osbert, of course, is standing in front of the fire, and you can see his great shadow looming upon a nearby ashwood tree. Um, it's snowing. The fire is warm. It is late spring, but it is in the north, so it's a little chilly. You've got your cloaks on. What is what is Osbert doing? 
Osbert is uh, creating a uh, shadow puppet for the tree behind him. Um, he's getting rather animated and uh, using both hands to try to have like a conversation between these two characters. Oh, that's good. Uh, and uh, in the process, he is acting like he's not paying attention to the fire. And then when he gets a little too close to it, he pretends that he burns his backside, falls on the ground, and kind of makes a bit of a scene to lighten the mood. That's good. The So the, the puppet show and the mimicry that he's kind of pant what he's doing, um, he's telling a, a story, a story of two people who once lived in Stonehold, the story of a man named Ulysses Coventry and Lord Balbany's Daunton Thorn the second of his name. These were the two last Eridane people to report to Stonehold. And it's been probably years, like call it five, six years, five to six years since they, since there was no reports back from Stonehold. Stonehold being the place where you're on going to. So it's been five, we'll call it, just call it six years. So from Balbany's and Ulysses. And I believe among our crew, you do have a Coventry with you. In fact, you have been accompanied by a cousin, first or second cousin, you're not really sure, a gentleman named Dr. James Coventry. He, uh, he's already snoozing in his sack um, near the fire. He's already put hot rocks in the bottom of the sleeping satchel so he can stay warm and snore and fall asleep. That leaves the four of you awake. Um, of course, Osbert falls on his, on his behind as he pretends to be burned. And you can see the back of his backside of his pants smoldering. This is probably the first time he's told this joke or did this jape. Um, it's a real, it's a real knee slapper. <laughs> what, uh, so at, at this time, obviously Collingsworth and Calvin are brothers, uh, Collingsworth being an animal and, and Calvin being a hedge wise. Like, what are the two of you doing? Besides sitting together in the same room as I can see you on the video, but nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brothers. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, Calvin would probably, I mean, he's, I could see him like basically looking, I mean, he probably does a lot of camp chores. I can see him like keeping himself busy, various things like making sure we got tinder for the fire and whatnot. Um, that makes sense. Because he likes, he enjoys being in nature, mm -hmm. like going out in the woods and doing whatever, whether it's setting traps or this, that, or the other. Yeah. Oh, so he so he is a hunter then too. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, like he respects nature. You know, he's not going to go like uh, Oregon Trail, like, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he has no problem, you know, catching either small game or on occasion the larger game, um, and then trying to use it to the utmost ability. Because why why waste good food? That's good. That's a good point. Um, in fact, I think this is a really good segue to determine a couple of kind of above-board mechanic things. So when you do overland travel in these new rules, there are three roles. There is first the trailblazer, 
The trailblazer is the leader of the foray. They use the position of the stars, maps, and telltale signs of other travelers to lead the way. Who do you think blazed the trail here? Who is not Osbert and who is not Calvin? So, so between Collinsworth and um, Keegan. Keegan is always there to help. So uh, if uh, nobody else really wanted to lead the way, he would. Okay, so Keegan was probably the trailblazer. How did you know... That's fine. How did you know the way to find your way through the north? Like, what, what does Keegan have that nobody else does? Is it information? Is it a thing? Um, is it... Keegan is uh, very likable and probably has talked to quite a few people on the trail and uh, has has learned kind of like what ways to go, what might be the best way and everything because everybody seems to somewhat trust him. So I would say that's probably where he would get most of the information okay. on how to get through this. That's good. So the th the first thing, Keegan, that you, that you know where you're at, you're in this place that the Aridane simply call... Um, they call the Rushwood. But to those in the north, they call it the Rukenval, which translates roughly from um, the, the, the Dunnish language to uh, uh, Vale of Ravens. It's a very thick forest um, with very little undergrowth, um, therefore very little snow to be found on the ground um, in places. What is what is Keegan doing right now? You've obviously set, you've obviously kind of made camp. What's what's Keegan doing right now? So at this point, he would probably be stalking around the camp and kind of seeing if anybody needs help. Uh, did, did somebody forget their blanket? Um, somebody need him to go get firewood? He, he could, you know, he's willing. No, that, that's fine. No, it's it's fine. He could he could find it. And uh, oh, did did you need more food? No, oh, that you know what? I'm not going to finish this bowl. Like that would pretty much be Keegan walking around the camp. That's good. As I, nice. think, I think that kind of sets things up because it's clear that Calvin is playing the second role here in Overland Travel, which is the hunter. So knowing that you can trap small game and you can manage provisions and build the fire and tend to other duties of being a nature-loving hedge-wise as you are, um, we'll probably assume that um, Calvin is our hunter. So that leaves the last and final role we need for Overland Travel. And that is the person who is the scout. They basically set the watch cycle, determine safety perimeter, ensure other hazards are avoided. Sometimes they track ahead when necessary. Who between Osbert and our final dramatis personae, um, so between, between, um, Collingsworth, sorry. Yeah, between Collingsworth and um, Osbert, who was who was the uh, who's the scout? I think I'm the scout. I think that, I think that uh, Collingsworth would uh, um, probably volunteer because him being an animal tamer, I, I I thought we said he would have an animal, but I don't have any details on that. Like, yeah. What? Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so obviously. Tell, tell us a little bit about Collins. What does what do people know about Collinsworth? Uh, Collinsworth, like he's definitely a lover of uh, nature as well. Um, 
and him and his brother are actually quite close. They, they spend a lot of time together. Um, and any sort of rivalry they have amongst them seems to be like that to make the other do better. Like jovial and kind of encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, whereas Calvin is like more of a, uh, focused on nature himself, uh, Collinsworth is definitely a love, like someone who loves animals. Right. Um, and seems to just be able to understand them and, um, you know, like get along with them immediately. Like everyone knows that sort of person who just is great with animals, even if they've never met that animal before. It just seems to click. Um, are you Carol fucking Baskins? Is that who you are in this relationship? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Carol fucking Baskins. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so Collinsworth is like got that particular knack for nature. Um, so yeah, the uh, other people would also know that Collinsworth is definitely a a um, a dreamer and a romantic. Um, not as not necessarily like as in just romance itself is in like love but uh yeah. like a, a sense of adventure yeah um, so he's he's definitely prone to that it's so much that he can avoid some of his duties um and you'll sometimes hear his brother uh, uh, refer to his problems with laziness <laughs> duty <laughs> okay so, that's good. So what kind of animal do you think best fits Collingsworth's, Collingsworth's personality? Collinsworth, sorry. Um, you know, I would like to be surprised on what you... No, no. I have chosen not to prepare anything. So if it's not up to me, it's up to everybody else. What kind of yeah. animal... So based on what Adam just told us about Collinsworth Redding, what, yeah. what kind of animal would he have? And it shouldn't be just like a cat because, come on, what kind of animal does he have? An ermine. A raccoon. Big bear. Big bear. <laughs> Big bear. <laughs> right? I want him to have a weasel or a ferret or an ermine. Kodo and Podo. He's the so Collinsworth is the beast master. Is what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, I'm Carol Baskins. <laughs> Can I have a tiger? A possum. <laughs> well, um, what, which of which of all those things sounds interesting to you, Adam? What do you think Collinsworth has, based on all the options everyone threw out? Right. So, um, I mean, a bear would be interesting. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, let's let's t let's talk about that. So Collinsworth obviously is an animal an animal tamer, and. It's not a full-grown bear. It's not a baby bear. It's somewhere in between. What? It's fine. It's a it's a small black bear. Yeah. And I say small, meaning it's bigger than a German Shepherd. What What's the name of this bear? Um, he would probably give it a sort of a. a... <laughs> okay, Mike. Yeah, its name is Hobbs. Hobbs? Yes. H-O-B-B-S? Yes. Okay. His name is Hobbs. So Hobbs the black bear. So Yes, it's it's Collinsworth's other new brother. So his brothers are Calvin and 
Hobbs. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> no intellectual uh theft intended um Andrews McNair. <laughs> okay that's great so now we, we've, we've yeah we've established some really interesting stuff at this point um and and you're all set up around this camp and you know that you're maybe two days away at best uh, you'll make it through the rushwood as you would know it as um, and emerge on the other side of the forest and you know that Stonehold can't be missed. That's what you've been told. In fact, Keegan, go ahead and mark down that you have a local map. Ooh. And this is called the uh, this is called the Northern Colony is where you're in. And when I say colony, I literally mean that. If you recall, the Aridane tried to colonize the north. And Stonehold was kind of their foothold or their first foray on the edge. And it stood for some time. In fact, they seized Stonehold um, back when it was called Dunmodra from one of the Torqued Lords. So they renamed it Stonehold and they were there for good decade and then we're gone but yeah stonehold among the north is called dunmodra that sounds good d-u-n-m-o-d-r-e so you you sleep that night restfully as you possibly can and the next day comes and the fire has died. It's this gray ashen pit um, that you dug in the earth. Uh, the ground is wet and moist. And perhaps to your own surprise, Keegan, when you awaken literally no more than just a few inches in front of your nose, as you're facing the soil, you're looking directly at the dirt. You can see this little green sprout, the tide of a pinky with a little tiny pink bud on the end of it. It's a flower. Hello. You kind of like look at it for a moment and kind of shield it a little bit and look around and see if it's the only one that's anywhere near. As you stand and you begin to look around, you, you all realize that where you had camped the night before looked just like a little bit of undergrowth. But as you are awakened that morning there are these tiny little pink sproutlings kind of poking up through the snow in the earth here and there where they've begun to grow this what looks like kind of like almost a field of it amid uh, a few trees here and there and open snow swept plains you know you're getting near the mountains you're very close in fact um, as you look off in the distance about two miles out the sky becomes kind of gray and dark and you can see this snow kind of low haze I should say kind of lingering out there um, you know you know this mountain range where you're at because you're in the foothills you know this mountain range is it's called the horned society it's a uh, it's what has kept the Pictish people from invading Aglador and kept the Pictish people 
out of the northern colony for some time, but it certainly didn't stop the Torqued Lords who were Dunish themselves. But nonetheless, you can see the Horned Society. And the reason why it's called that is because the mountains are, they look more like horns than mountains. They look like spines of the world. In fact, uh, when the Aridane first came here, they thought it looked like the spine of Mulhalma. If you look at regional maps, like the one that you have, Keegan, everything radiates around this mountain range. It is the center of the world for whatever cartograph, whoever cartographed, mapped. The cartography of this map is centered around the Horned Society. It is not centered around your home country. It feels strange and foreign in your hands. In fact, you've never even learned to read the words on it, on this deer hide map. Yet, at least. But you know where Stonehold is as you've marked it. And you know the way to, you can see some other places on the map, but you've yet to really understand or suss out what it is. So um, as he sees all these pink flowers everywhere, he would make it a point to pull out his writing kit and kind of mark down little pink dots in the area that they're at. That's good. This is called uh, mowing the lawn or clearing the fog if you're playing in a Metroidvania game. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you all awaken that morning. Um, well rested, well fed. You're all currently imperiled, we'll assume. Uh, it's been safe so far. Um, a few hungry wolves were chased away about a, about four days ago um, with fire and steel. Uh, no, no need to draw bows or anything but they stayed they stayed quite a ways away and um cleaning up after your camp certainly helped too thanks to calvin when he said bury your shit in your remnant chicken bones uh you fortunately have you everybody can mark down that they have uh three days of provisions just enough plus a few days more to to get to stonehold which was almost a week north of a castle keep called Kale Moray, which you've also marked on your map, Keegan. So now you have three locations you know of. Kale Moray, which is the southmost. The Horned Society, which is the very center of the map, and just slightly to the west of that, a little place called Dunmodra, or Stonehold, as it's known by your people. And you're awake. And you're up and around. What are you all going to do? Well, I think it's best to get an early start. I would, I would tend to agree with you. Uh, did you rest well? clumsy after your spill. Oh yes, it's just a performance for your enjoyment. Didn't actually burn my backside. <laughs> just a jape. <laughs> ah, well, next time uh, maybe maybe you'll let me know it's a jape, of course. Uh, I did, well, that that spoil laugh. all the fun. <laughs> I, I did laugh, but there was a there was a, a bit of a sense of guilt. I would I would like to laugh at you without that. Clumsy shrugs. 
Yes, I do. It's all about the more you know. What about Keegan? What are you doing? Keegan is once again looking around. Is there anyone else or is it just the four of us that are in this group? Well, it would, you, you, you oftentimes ask yourself that because Dr. James Coventry is a man of few words. You, you, almost, you almost forget that he's there as you turn around and you can see him. He's already gathered his pack and he, he, he says, oh, goodness, I'm, I'm very, uh, excuse me, I'm very sorry. If you can imagine, um, who's the old British actor in like every 90s movie who was the heartthrob? What was his name? Sean Connery. No. No. Hugh Grant. Yes. <laughs> James Coventry is Hugh Grant, but not nearly as handsome, but with all the weird clumsiness, like having to, yeah, the weird hair thing he does and the having to, to swallow where you can hear that kind of like kind of clicking sound on the back of his throat before he, but I, all right. I, so, so, Hugh Grant, sorry, Dr. James Coventry says, well, you see, I, he pulls at the cravat of his throat, I was just admiring the, um, the, the view over here. Yes, yes. Uh, did, did anyone need any assistance before we, we head off? I, I do believe it, it might be best to, to head off the, as, as the brothers did say, it does seem like a good idea, yes? The Super Reading brothers. <laughs> Tanuki suit. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure that Calvin has the fire. I'm just saying. But... Uh, yes, uh, imagine us following the footsteps of our first cousins once removed. First cousins, or was it? I can never quite remember. Oh yes, well, see, there are there are father's cousins, and so there are first cousins once removed. Um, but if uh, Chauncey were to have any children, then they would be our second cousins. Oh, I'll have to write that down. Yes. In fact, yes, the Redding family is—they uh, breed like rabbits, as they say. Uh, and uh, even even the even those that are illegitimate take on the name Redding. Uh, so they so so <laughs> understanding the family tree is a little difficult. In fact, um, I'd imagine at this point Collinsworth, Collinsworth and uh, his half brother have probably worked up some confusing uh, number alpha alphanumeric combination for all the families. So, yeah. so, that so, so Collinsworth, what is what is your number, and then what is what is Calvin's number? Uh, Collinsworth would be one of eleven C, and Calvin would be one of eleven B. <laughs> but what some of our listeners may not know is that Adam has a very large family, and his brother, uh, because their their family is so I mean, it's very large. Um, his brother has worked up a system alphanumerics to determine who is who in the family line. Uh, so I think it's probably appropriate. The Reddings probably had the same thing because Adam is playing a Redding and the Reddings are so prolific. Yeah, uh, 
<laughs> None of the other writings follow it. He's trying to make it happen, but no, no one else is. Family reunions aren't necessarily about. Oh yeah, you're what's his name? It's oh you're eleven to five C or whatever. It is. Uh, all of my cousins introduce my like. I say yes. I'm 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 Doug's son, the eleventh. Oh yeah. The, you know he's my dad had some brothers. Yeah. So the, so the Reddings have a very complicated family tree, I think is what we're driving to. <laughs> and you, you all pick up. And obviously, it is time to strike out if you're following Keegan's kind of suggestion. Obviously, you know, among your crew, there's not really a leader. I mean, in fact, it's – you kind of struck out here almost out of desperation. Uh, there is nothing really left for you in Aglador. You took this this – mission to return to Stonehold to to join uh, what you heard is a group of new settlers who have come to Stonehold in the wake of the White Wolf being driven back to his land. The torque, the, the, the war has ended. King Cassandra Unifier has driven the people out of the out of Aglador and out of the north and Stonehold is reputedly safe. Hmm. So you'll be joining others up there um, as well, the returners. Um, so the first thing we need to do um, to get our wilderness, or sorry, our, our overland travel process started, um, we need to actually have our trailblazer set set the path. So what I, as, as this final stretch of travel begins, I need you to make either a folklore or a navigation test. Um, and because the terrain is, it's routine. It's a routine test. It's a routine test. Routine. Yep. And remember, we have, at this point, uh, we're just going to start with uh, five, four fortune, four coins, sorry, four fortune in your pool, one in my pool. Yep. So just call it, let me know if you succeed or fail. I'm not looking at roll 20. I'm just going to have okay. you tell me. All right. Unless you want to roll dice, that's fine too. I'll go ahead and go with roll 20. Okay. Uh, so I rolled a 10 out of 74, made it. Nice. So the great thing is, is that um, you're going to get where you need to be on time. No doubt about that. You suspect you'll be there probably a little bit after sundown, providing you kind of keep up the pace. So you, you all strike out with um, sweets with the big deer skin map. And you're basically following, you, you emerge from the wood, following the shapes of the Horned Society, the great mountain in the north. And you're basically kind of walking along what, what best could be sussed out as a path. And it's clear you're not the only people who have walked this path. Like it's very, very clear you're not the only ones who've walked the path. Obviously, it takes two to tango, but three to commit to overland travel. So we need our hunter, who is uh, Calvin, um, on this stretch of travel. Obviously, you've been taking to the camp, keeping the provisions, hunting, fishing, foraging, doing what is necessary along the way, catching small game to feed everybody. Um, you've had provisions up to this point, which is great. You're not running out, obviously. You have three days left. Um, but I do need you to make a decision. Are you going to make a survival test, or will you make a combat-based skill test to hunt down game? 
Um, I'll stick with survival. Okay. Well, it's routine terrain, so it's a routine survival test. All right. So that would be a 66 chance, and I rolled a 84. Do you want to stick with that, or you want to use a fortune? Uh, I'll stick with it. Okay. Well, good news, bad news. Um, Knowing that, you know, you obviously have to ration food, not rations as in D&D, but you're rationing food and provisions. Uh, Unfortunately, you all must mark off two days provisions from your from your um, selves. So you only have one day left by the, by the time you arrive at Stonehold. Um, that brings us finally to our scout. Um, and obviously this is Collinsworth. Our scout, once again, you know, they're, you know, you've been keeping, you've been setting the watch, you've been setting the cycles, you've been ensuring things are fine, removing road hazards, just kind of like pat- tracking ahead where necessary, but mostly being the person who's, whose sole job is to watch out for the safety of the party. Um, you need to make either an awareness or a stealth test. It's up to you. Okay. I'm going to go with stealth. May I assist? Uh, here's the thing. Uh, if you assist somebody in their role, you cannot take on a role yourself. The good thing is, is that Osbert is not, does not have a role. So yes, you may assist. Um, so an assist to die in this case. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, okay, so make roll a three and come on, Hobbs, let's keep a nose out for danger. Sniff sniff. Well, I think I'll take next three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what'd you end up with? A thirty as opposed to an eighty. Oh nice. 32. That's good. So the good thing is is that because because Collinsworth is, you know, being sneaky stealthy, um, it will give you all an advantage if for some reason you encounter danger along the way. Or sorry, my apologies. It's a, just normal success, is that right? Normal, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry, my apologies. The good thing is, is that you're keeping watch successfully on this, on this stretch, and um, should anything... Uh, should, you, should the should the world should the land be a bit more dangerous? You may be able to sneak away in time to avoid it. Um, so any dangers of the wild you may face, uh, you'll be able to hopefully avoid. Um, I need everyone around the virtual game table who took on a role. That would be um, Keegan, Calvin, and Collinsworth. I would like for you all to roll a d6 chaos die and let me know if it lands on a six. Some of us are doing digital dice, some are doing physical dice. I got a six. That was a two. <laughs> I got a five. Okay. Well, it it appears that your travels through the north uh, have been interrupted, but by what? I'm going to grab some dice myself. I'm going to roll really quickly with these cool Gen Con exclusives Vihander dice. Ooh. You probably heard me roll them. So I'm going to roll a couple percentiles here too. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so sometime toward midday, um, you lose sight of the sun uh, as a blanket of cold kind of settles over the land. And it's 
feels pretty typical, at least the seven, six days you've been up here. It's like you, you, it gets cold and it gets warm. It gets cold and it gets warm. And everything's kind of in this constant state of thawing and freezing. So your socks are wet. Your clothes are wet. It's a little cold. And the sun is blotted out by some clouds. And you think for a moment it may rain or snow, but nothing, nothing really happens. Um, but there's this kind of pallor of gray kind of washing across the snow as it turns from white to this, you know, shade of gray. Um, you're on the, you're on a well-worn path, as I mentioned before. It's not muddy, like somebody's been through here recently, but it's demarcated at times by a standing stones that have been stacked on top of one another, like you would find on like a, a path um, in the foothills. Uh, but this one's actually marked way more often than others. Like it's very easy to find those little standing stones. You know, it's basically almost like a lifeline. To, you know what direction to go. Um, but not far from where you're at, you see an animal slumped over a pile of rocks over one of these marker stones. Should we help it? Uh, we should approach very slowly. Right. You should probably handle this, brother. Hey, then. And uh, before I say the word little, I'm going to get a closer look at it to see how large this animal is. Hmm. Do you want to approach or stay where you're at and get a look at what it may be? Um, it'd be more interesting if I approached, so let's do that. Okay. Collinsworth kind of, you can hear his footfalls kind of crunch, crunch, crunch in the snow as he slowly approaches and just on, just kind of sitting and leaving, leaving Hobbs behind with Calvin. Um, and as you uh, approach, you realize that this is a very large animal, um, which stands easily the height of a horse. Uh, and its great antlers are probably the same span as which from fingertip to fingertip. This huge elk has been felled uh, and it's lying across, across the stone falling over. And it would take a great amount of weight. This thing probably weighs a ton uh, or half a ton. It's a mat. You've seen those massive elks in Minnesota. Like this is that it's huge and it's fallen over the rock in one of its, one of its antlers has been severed from probably some many, many years at this point, you would guess, and probably have to get in those fights when they lock up their antlers. But it's lying across the stone. It's definitely a northern white elk. But it's it kind of has flies kind of buzzing around it. And it's the smell is a little, little awful. I want to look around. For a dire wolf that has cubs. <laughs> no, no dire wolf with cubs, unfortunately. <laughs> but you do see Ned Stark. What's up, guys? No, just kidding. See Where are you headed? Oh. It's He'll die soon anyway. That's right. It's um, pilot, it's pilot Ned Stark. He's got a black wig. So um, no, you don't you don't see you don't see <laughs> no. Uh, but you do you yeah, you, you as I mentioned, Collinsworth uses huge white northern elk. 
that's been felled and it's lying across the rocks, just like collapsed across it. And in fact, as your eyes kind of span across the snow, you can see where it limped its way here and you can see blood spots in the snow still. Mm. Pink slush all around where it's lying down. Clearly it was kind of like its leg was trying to pick itself, it's trying to pick itself up as it dug deeper and deeper in the muck and the mud and all the snow around it's kind of pink and sloshy. It's pretty, pretty nasty. Pink slush. You all, of course, see this too, clumsy and sweet. I look at Hobbs the bear and see how he's reacting. I assume he's, if there's anything around that may have killed it recently, he would smell it. You turn to Hobbs, and as you turn around, you can see the honey-nosed bear kind of rooting around in the earth and the dirt and the snow as its back is turned to you. As you begin to approach, it kind of goes, and it bears its teeth. And then turns about and continues rooting in the snow and the earth. Well, uh, it doesn't appear that this thing died recently. Is this something to worry about? Uh, I'm going to just take a brief look and see if, like, there's any possibly arrows sticking out of it or... Um, you know, if I, if I think that this death was caused by an animal or by a person. Well, you don't see any wounds on the side that's up. If it was wounded, it's wounded on its underside and it's the side that it's fallen over to. Now, if you and your friends decide to pick the thing, try to push the thing over, you may be able to determine that, but um, you don't see any, anything sticking out of this side. This side doesn't seem to be where the, where the wound is. Yeah, uh, I'm going to walk back over towards them. Well, um, it appears that it would be that it's a, a dead elk. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know for certain if it truly is dead, but usually when there are flies, it's pretty bad. Um, so if we wish to know what happened to it, we would need to roll it over. And uh, I don't think I'm suited to do it by myself. I can help if you need it. Uh, it's, it's, it's more or less a question of if, if this is something worthy of investigation. It doesn't seem so. Even old Hobbs seems bored by the situation. I look to the bear, continuing to root around in the snow. Doesn't seem like there's anything to be concerned about. Well, if there's nothing to worry about, then I guess we continue. Right? It can't hurt to give it a minute or two to check over it. I mean, maybe it was a hunter. Maybe uh, there's someone from Stonehold looking for this quarry that got away. You think they would have chased it down with the amount it was bleeding and dragged it back. It's a good Sorry, fair bit of meat that was seemingly wasted. Well, what, what if yeah. it ran and here's where it finally fell? If it were being hunted by an animal that was able to to be capable of killing it, uh, one would also argue that the animal would be around to eat it as well. 
Um, so we could check it out. We would just need to um, give it a bit of a tip. I'll be out, brother. Uh, uh, yes, yes, of course. So you wish to uh, lift the animal up, the three of you? Yes. What of Osbert? Osbert is standing back. If if they need more help, he'll give it, but he doesn't readily want to assist. Mm -hmm. um, before we do that, he never really quite checked it to see if it was still breathing at all. Because um, if it if it's uh, if it's wounded, it may start kicking. Um, mm -hmm. So he's gonna see if he can see breath coming out of its nose since it's cold out. Make a handle animal test. This test is routine. Still routine. Handle them animal. Two is a success. Nice. You pull forth a polished mirror, probably something that you use to shave to shave by, and you place it beneath its nostrils that are easily the um, the thickness of a cork from a wine bottle. There is no breath upon the upon the glass. Just its purple tongue lolling out of its massive maw these large flat teeth doesn't appear to be breathing All right then uh Turn it roll it Duh. isn't or uh doesn't uh james the dr james approaches it isn't um uh it it appears to be or or it isn't he asks inquiring as he finally gets out his words I'm saying it doesn't appear to. I didn't see any movement on the mirror. He nods. And with that, the three of you kind of get underneath the elk, and it's huge. Um, you all three, all three of you need to make a fail forward standard athletic test. Can I assist someone, or do I have to do my own? You must all make one. Those who are helping shove the animal over, it's fail forward. I succeed. You said a standard? Yes. <laughs> that includes Collinsworth, too. Yep. I failed. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. the, t the two of you, the three of you managed to push it over, but not before Collinsworth and Keegan slipping underneath of it until um, they begin to wind themselves. And as you are winded, you, you suffer um, eight physical peril. And the animal finally slumps over this kind of woof sort of sound that kind of kicks up a cloud of snow. And as you do so, you are almost alarmed, Osbert, to find that this creature had been saddled and bridled and was underneath of its belly. And as it as you as you kind of flip it over, it's its underbelly is just, it's clearly got this deep, this deep, deep wound in its gut and in its throat. There are no fletchings of arrows at all, just this deep gash, easily the width of your hand. 
but the thing was clearly saddled and ridden by somebody. And the first thing you do is you look around trying to find the rider, which seems absurd given the fact that elk are massive and huge and not rideable animals. <laughs> and they're bigger than horses. They're huge. They're massive, like a full grown elk. And you're looking and you're like, and all you can see is the bit and the bridle and the saddle, but nothing else. Well, I'll be ding dong damned. Mr. Hickory Dickory, Dr. James, what do you make of this? I, I didn't, I didn't think anyone, uh, rode elk and for that matter. Well, um, uh, killed him like that. I, um, I, I don't quite know. He says, I'm no, uh, matter of an, um, expert in anim animals. You see. Well, you, you wouldn't figure that someone would have a companion bear, would you? Sure would. Well, you would, of course, because, well, we're brothers. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have guessed that this was uh, domesticated, but I'm also not shocked. Surprised? Yes. But shocked? <laughs> no. Back in my carnival days, I, I knew a tamer that could tame a cat. So I guess an elk isn't too far out of a realm of possibilities. Well, but think of the poor rider he left out here without his mount, right? Why does it have to uh, be he? Well, Dr. James says. I, I use that in the colloquialism, you know, uh, uh, she, he, they, they. Whoever, obviously, that was writing this, they, they've lost their mount now. Could be in some distress, if you think of it. Quite a bit. I, I suppose we could follow the tracks as a well, point. With all this snow? <laughs> I look around. You can see that the animal had, uh, as, 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 um, <clears throat> as Collinsworth kind of points, you can see that there is a there are tracks in the snow that he points out that's kind of hard to discern if you wouldn't know where to look, but he points them out clearly. They won't be around for long. The sky is gray. It has not yet rained or snowed. But when it does, they will be washed away for sure. Hmm. Is there any blood trail as well as well as with those tracks? Like, does it seem like the rider was wounded? Uh, well, you do you have a skill rank in survival? I do. Yeah, you see no other tracks save okay. for your own in the mud and the muck. Um, but you can see where this creature had lo loped along across a great snowy plain, hmm. barren save for snow. I mean, I, I don't know that the, the riders necessarily are concerned, but uh, it does seem like he would be out quite a bit uh, in the snow and everything if he had some kind of mount and now no longer does, right? It's, it's hard to say just what happened. And the only way that we truly are going to know anything is if we do follow those tracks. But is this a mystery to be revealed? Or a mystery to ponder and tell about the fire sign. 
it's no. What do you say? Well, I mean, just looking at our rations, I would say we probably should just make our way to Stonehold, much as I'd like to tarry and figure out the puzzle. Um, well, what what I always say is the truth is usually just an excuse for a lack of imagination. I say we make up a story when we reach Stonehold about our daring adventure, about how we found such a a, a ridiculous a, a ridiculous creature with a saddle. I, I mean, come on, just think of the possibilities. I, I, I'm sure whatever actually happened isn't as exciting as what we could come up along the way. It'll pass the time during the day. Uh, well, I don't mind putting in the work as, you know, hard work betrays none. <laughs> I don't mind going to look for him if we think that's better, but if you think a story is more important. Are see, we going to get a four for motto combo here? Stories told around five places are best if they're truthful. Uh, you do need to be careful when telling stories at night, for claws strike deepest from the shadows. That's a hat trick. That's three in a row. <laughs> uh, come on, Mike. <laughs> I mean, I, okay, fine. I mean, so, I mean, I don't know. Me, I'm just going to hang out with Hobbs because, you know, I find that nature is pleased with simplicity. What's more simple than a bear? Because all they require is the bare necessities. The simple bare necessities. Oh, Fucking really? Oh my god. <laughs> Did you just quote Jungle Book? Forget about your ways and your strife. We, we can achieve anything. So it's a matter of do we wish to know or do we wish to wonder? I go where I am needed. Tell me where we'd like to go. Yeah, day off. I remember we were hired by a fellow, but that fellow didn't, was unable to accompany us. Do we have a person to turn to to make these decisions? I mean, I suppose it would be good for situations like this if we have someone we can rely on to make the tough choices. Keegan looks slightly terrified at the thought of making up his own decisions. <laughs> uh, uh. You strongly suspect, uh, Calvin, this is why you turn through so many provisions on the way up here. The indecision that would rack the four of you, including Dr. James, a rudderless ship, so to speak, just a as, as they sometimes say back in Old Lork, you're just pissing into the wind in your own face. So it's no wonder you've burned through so many rations for indecision and lack of leadership has led you to situations just, as, just like this. I mean, I'll always follow your lead, brother. Well, if, if it is my decision... I, for one, would like to see if we could learn anything about someone who would saddle an elk. And also, 
if this person is in need of help. I mean, who are we to turn that turn them away? Ah, of course not. Let, let's go. Keegan, if you nods. if you insist, but it seems a waste of time given you know the amount of rations we've gone through. Why risk it? Where's your sense of adventure? We're living it. <laughs> it's time to seize it. Osbert shakes his head and sighs. Fine. Going against, against your better judgment, Osbert, you gain one conflict. Uh, as we well know in this game, we're using conflict and not corruption. The good thing is, though, is that both the nature lover and the animal tamer are going to uh, satisfy their curiosity. If you would have left them behind, then you would have gained conflict because it is literally your, that's your bag, gentlemen. So um, you begin to step out into the snowy landscape and you leave the road and there is this, for a moment, Keegan, like being the one who blazed the trail here, there's this, sense of oh i guess we don't have a road anymore and you look at your map and roll it up because there's it will do you no good um as you have now traveled an hour following the tracks through this barren snowy plain and about an hour in a light snow begins to fall and you look around and all you can see about 300 yards out is just snow there are no landmarks. It's just a flat plain of pale gray snow and tracks that are slowly beginning to be filled with snow itself. You look back, you see your boot falls winding through it. Imagine, imagine Fargo, right? It's just barren completely. And you're almost ready to give up and maybe even turn around until you you come up on a rocky precipice not far from here in fact there's this large gray smooth stone that almost looks like a thumb osbert what are you going to call this stone what's the name of this thumb looking stone the dick of winter the dick of winter <laughs> Wow. A phallus coming straight up from the, from the, from the snowy depths to penetrate the afternoon oh, wow. sky. Oh, wow. <laughs> I would have gone so, with <laughs> so, Keegan, you may mark a new location on your map that is simply called the Dick of Winter. <laughs> I'm actually drawing it in World 20. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> the Dick of Winter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that's beautiful that's beautiful okay so yeah you find you find the dick of winter, dick of winter. which is by r.i.p deer <laughs> <laughs> i can see on your map now um yeah so the dick of <laughs> oh, <damn>. <laughs> okay uh <laughs> it's so big um <laughs> you can see this large plinth of stone that looks a bit oblong and phallus like almost like a large stony banana resting atop two other large boulders. And it is it and it and it seems 
I'm not going to call it out of place. Maybe it's just at the angle you're at because when you kind of get to the other side, you're like, oh, yeah, it's just it's a bunch of rock, like foothills sticking up. Um, but you find this person uh, actually curled up in a fetal position, frozen to death. And as you see this person frozen to death in the middle of nowhere, save for, save for the fact that they're cl- clinging close to the dick of winter for any heat they could keep in, and the snow is falling, you all begin to feel a little bit of a pang of stress, maybe. Everybody needs to make a, a, uh, a uh, which nobody's harmed. So um, your, your test, uh, and I apologize, I wish I had this up right now, but it is ba- but your your resistance is based on the your damage condition currently, as opposed to what it would be. So give me just one moment here. So um, to withstand horror, um, you need to all make resolve tests, and if you're unharmed, it's routine. Anybody fail? Yep. Yes. Oh. Uh, anybody critically fail? No. Okay. Okay. So, um, if you would have critically failed, you would have suffered a traumatic break, but we won't talk about that until it happens. Uh, for those who failed, um, you gain three conflict. Excuse me, three conflict. Oh, you suffer eleven mental peril. Oof. Like who failed? Who among you failed? So I can't. You, so uh, Collinsworth and Osbert and Keegan all fail. Like, what is racing through Keegan's mind at this point when you see this? To be honest, he's really confused as to why this was marked on the map as the Dick of Winter. Um, feels like this seems quite ominous at the, the place that you're finding. Um, also, he's probably never seen a dead body. Other Oof. than like you know, people who have been like the old elderly people or whatever who were were taken to funerals and things like that. He's never seen one out in the wild as it was. He grew up pretty sheltered. So. What about for um? What about Osbert? What's going on through his head? So, Osbert. Um, strangely finds this appealing in a way that sickens him. Um, his flaw <laughs> is deviant, whether it be to derive sympathy or simply a gratification that comes from fate. I find satisfaction in suffering. So he sees the look on this person's face, this grimace of death, and something about it kind of charges him to a degree um and he doesn't feel good about this this feeling but he's he's feeling it he's trying he's trying hard to hide a smirk on his face but (laughs) failing that's interesting uh so what about um what about in the case of uh collinsworth like what's 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 going on with him right now uh collinsworth's sense of adventure has left him and um (laughs) he 
he really doesn't want anything more to do with this at all. And all he wants to do is go to someplace warm and do nothing. Um, like he, any ambition that he had is uh, immediately devolved into laziness. His, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm forgetting what we're calling it. Um, Belief flaw? and flaw. Flaw. His flaw. Yeah. Yeah. My flaw is apprehension. So. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, there, there, you're out here. It's beginning to snow. There's a corpse that's clearly died from exposure, curled up in a fetal position. You can see that the others are kind of losing their proverbial shit. They're a little stressed out. They're not afraid, but they're stressed for sure. Um, Calvin. Mm. Well. I mean, did we kind of expect anything else with the wounds of the animal? I didn't, but uh, I mean, we should take a look at this man, right? See if he has any identifying colors so we can let his family know. I, I suppose you're not wrong. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the most respectable thing would be to bury him, but the ground is just so hard. Maybe we should just go back from whence we came. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to just dis dis disturb, disturb, <laughs> disturb a body. Hmm. Well, I mean, his spirit has returned to the gods and the body will eventually return to the earth. But, um, yeah. Are we, are we sure he, are we sure he's, he's dead? I mean, I'll put my fingers on it, the, the throat just to see if I feel a pulse. Uh, so do you have, um, a skill rank and heal? No, I do not. So you probably wouldn't know about that, but you can at least determine if they're alive or dead as you approach and kind of yeah. lick, you lick your hand and put it in front of their face. Um, their nose and lips and fingertips are black and blue and blistered. Mm -hmm. um, their skin is pale. There's quite a bit of ice, or sorry, just water that's kind of frozen over their face mm -hmm. as their eyes were wide open, um, mouth agape. Yeah. Uh, and you place your hand over the No, they're not breathing at all. I know enough about survival to know that, yeah, exposure. <laughs> but uh, no, this man is dead. But uh, do I see, does he seem to be wearing any sigils, colors, signets, anything like that? Any identifying? Well, I assume just from looking at him. Frozen rigid as they are, if they did, it'd be hidden underneath their very heavy furs, which is, would not be surprising to find out here. I mean, everyone, I mean, even as you look toward Osbert, when he is not disrobed, he looks like some great stuffed scarecrow with all of his ragatag furs around him but when you look at this person who's at the foot of the rock they look like they were they were covered in they were born fur from their own skin covered in hunt i mean not hundred sorry covered in like five furs uh oh. and a, a hood over their face you can't even make out like facial structure it's all it's all frozen and would be brittle if you pulled it away but nothing identifying who they are now just uh clutched in their hand this 
um, long, slender rifle, a musket. Mm. You see a Patterhorn at their at their side, along with um, a hunter's bag. Interesting. Man with a rifle, riding the milk. Instead of hunting it. But, uh, I'm not exactly indifferent, so we should, I will agree that if you want to leave, we should do that. Will you all begin to head back, leaving the man behind? Yep. Yeah. You you turn about leaving the man and his rifle still his musket still frozen in hand and um begin heading back to the demarcation stones and that's when you start to get a little bit nervous. Um because you realize that as you check your provisions you've only got one day left. And at this point, with the snow coming down you're not really sure what direction you're going. So we'll return in just a few moments uh, to continue with Desperation Point. So let's take a quick break if we could. Cool. Okay. And, and we're back for Desperation Point after a short break. Where we last left off, the four of you were wandering back you had left, you had found a body frozen, clinging to their musket, abandoned in the snowy plains by the Horn Society. The man was clinging to the very edge of the dick of winter, as Osbert has named it. <laughs> <laughs> and the snow began to fall, and you were hoping you'd make it back so you wouldn't get lost. Uh, because the only thing in this broad, open, snowy plain is are your foot boot prints that would lead back to the standing stones of the river where you found the dead elk. You uh, begin to make your way there, and the snow begins to fall a little more and a little more and a little more, and eventually it's just snowing. The air almost feels kind of cold and electric like in a, the dead of winter, like you would feel then. And it is late spring, but here in the north, it continues snowing almost year-round. Wandering through the snow, following your foot tracks desperately back to where you came, you almost all but give up hope by the time the sun has set and you've struck your first torch. And that's when you see it. The gray mass of the elk lying across the stone where you turned it over. You found the road. And you must make double time if you wish to reach Stonehold by morning. I believe we should push on. It won't be pleasant. There will be food there, hopefully. Let's go. I, I trust your judgment, brother. You continue on the way. Who has the light? Who is holding the light? 
I suppose I can. You have a lantern or a torch? What do you have? I have the power. The power. Grayskull. Torches. I've got three. Oh, so you've got three hours worth of light. Yeah. Hmm. Remember, you may use a fortune point at any time to edit the situation if you may have forgotten something. No, um, maybe we should use a fortune point. It happened to be on that elf that maybe his trappings fell off of the saddle and there happened to be a lantern with some oil. Mm. Pot of oil with it. That's a wise use. So I'll take your fortune point and turn it into my misfortune, which uh, leaves me with two misfortune and you with three fortune at this point. Could there possibly have been some provisions that tumbled out of his pack as well? <clears throat> well, unfortunately not, because it, it looks, because there were, the, there were no packs on it. There were no saddlebags. Okay. Um, they clearly, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, who here has a skill rank and ride? Nobody? Ooh, yeah. Gotta, gotta check all these character sheets. No. Chicken, chicken, chicken. I do. Oh, hey. Well, you would probably deduce then in that case, Collinsworth, that this person must have rode from somewhere nearby if they didn't bring provisions. They could have been scouting. Yes, somewhere very close. They didn't have any anything stored on on the saddlebag, besides this lantern. And they obviously didn't uh, uh, plan on being out for too long. Hmm. I see what meat we can get from this elk, but I prefer my meat fresh, never frozen. Oh. Also not entirely sure what killed it, right? So. Well, seems like those gashes on it, so belly, uh, Probably did it in, but who knows how long it's been in the state. I mean, I can take a look over and see. Do I suspect that, uh, you know what, Collinsworth? Would, would you mind giving me a, a hand here? See if there's anything salvageable from this? Oh, as far as uh, food, I, I'm sure there's something. Yeah, so it's. Let's uh let's dive in. Hmm. So you want to stay here and carve up this elk? Just to be clear, you're gonna take time here and. I mean, if I think that there might be some meat worthy of it, sure. I don't think it looks a little bilious. Well, that's, that's why I'm giving a kind of taking a minute to take a look at it. Uh, maybe maybe the doctor should give a prognostication or whatever the word is. I don't know. I think me and Collins were the... Uh, Diagnosis. I mean, sure. Uh, I uh, don't quite um, know what you're su su suggesting, um, Osbert. It's, it, it isn't good to eat, is it? It doesn't look, doesn't look right to me. doesn't smell good. right. He, give it, he kind of sniffs the air. I couldn't tell you. I mean... I'm no animal, Minda. You do my um, years and physiology disservice. I was a doctoral graduate of Chandring 
I should say, he raises a finger and clears his throat. <clears throat> no mere animal Minda. Doctor, may I remind you, Dr. James Coventry. Uh, I, I would suppose that uh, in all your schoolings, you never quite went over what was safe to eat when you were studying how to heal a person. <laughs> so, um, I, I appreciate your concern and your sentiment, uh, uh, Osbert, but uh, we, are, we are frontiersmen, my brother and I. We have, we have uh, made many a meal out of uh, uh, all manner of, well, deer mainly, but I suppose elk shouldn't be too far off. It'll probably just be more gamey than normal. So, with a knife, you start at the bottom, working your way up to the breastbone, but you dare not cut it. But as you reach both hands up to the esophagus of the small knife, you make one cut as you begin to dress down the creature and blood spills forth. You uh, cut out the genitals in the back and then dump it all out. It takes, normally for a deer, it takes about 10 minutes to dress it down, to dress down a deer. Um, with an elk such as this size, probably three times as long, so 30 minutes to dress it fully. Um, using the, uh, the stones you pile up, you manage to lay the creature over it, and you manage to salvage as much meat as you possibly can. Um, with a creature like this, uh, you will easily get three days of provisions for every person here. All I'm picturing is Oregon Trail, where it's like, you can only carry so much back. You left 250 pounds of bison back at the... Well, kind of, kind of like... Yeah, I mean, if this is a... This thing weighs a ton, then we're... Yeah, we get all the choices cuts. That's right. <laughs> you, take, you take the choice cuts. Unfortunately, because you don't really have... I mean, do you want to take its skin? You don't really have horses or anything, but you can take its hide. An elk hide. It's big. Uh, sure. Okay, it's nine encumbrance. <laughs> yeah. Someone gonna take it? I don't think it'd slow me down too much. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I got a pretty, I got a six brawn bonus. So. Nice. So you encumbrance, so I'll take a look at that. But, okay, uh, yeah. I'll probably be a little slow, but I think I'm going to hands it. Yeah. Well, the, if you want to make like a carpet, like, <laughs> you know, um, Keegan would step up and take half of it, like, throw it on his shoulder. Carpet Neo. See? <laughs> Remember that a, a days of provisions Ways of encumbrance are one encumbrance. That's right. So be sure to track that if you're taking three days of encumbrance. Yep. Okay. So with the uh, with the hide and the animal, you begin moving, and you've got enough oil, uh, hopefully, to get you to where you need to be in um, Stonehold. As you've now dressed down the elk, took the choice, took the choices, cuts, and begin moving your way through the dark. Um, the good thing is, is that um, you're certainly going to make it there in time, um, without a doubt. Uh, now, 
as to what happens when you arrive, however, is a, is a different story. You almost have this expectation that you would happen upon a village um, of, a, of a kind marked with um, stone chimneys and uh, stone huts and um, warmth and a fire in a tavern and whatever else. However, um, you are quite alarmed to find that in the, in the snow, kind of at the foot of this huge foothill, are the bones, the skeletons, the, of walls, of cross timbers, of a village that has been long been burned. Um, no one lives here at all. There are no lights coming from the windows. There are no roofs as they've collapsed inward. Some half still, some still half built, some collapsed completely beneath the snow. You see no blue curls of smoke coming from chimneys. All you can see is a burned out old village, an old stone village, um, as you're crossing this wooden trust bridge that spans over this frozen thread of water that has just begun to thaw in the middle. As you can see a small little hand size, hand width rivulet running between the, the frozen embankments. You see boats are still frozen in the water, several kind of along boats, uh, rowboats overturned along the, uh, the, the snowy shore. And as you cross over this trust bridge, you don't see anybody here to greet you. There are no animals barking in the streets. There's no clicking of chickens coming from the chicken coop. Um, there's just this old burned out village and it all seems to um, be situated in a sort of tight knit way um, around the foot of a, of a bluff where up on top of the bluff, you can see this old stone castle hold um, watching stony and silently over everything, a, a faceless old keep that must be, what was once called Dunmodra, built in the Dunnish fashion, a Mott and Bailey uh, stone fort on top of the hill. But um, you see no lights from up there either, at least until you see a few torches bobbing along the tops of the walls about 200 yards out. Looks like there's uh, someone here. Good. Maybe. Are they? It means, uh, well, they're not going to be alone, so that's nice. They must be um, in, inside. It's too dangerous out here, I think, Dr. James Coventry says. Of course. Uh, you should join them then, right? Indeed. You begin your trek up the hillside towards Stonehold, and you pass by an old provisioner's building. Imagine like in the 1800s, as kind of like faceless little stone buildings with a steepled roof. Um, that's kind of what this little outbuilding looks like. Um, and it hasn't been occupied for quite some time. 
Um, the door has been rent off the threshold. The glass windows have been long shattered. Um, the roof is in disrepair. Um, and you continue winding your way up the hill towards Stonehold. Um, and that's when you could see that the, that the portcullis that from the, from the, the, from where the, um, tower is that where the, you would make your way into Stonehold is completely up. And <clears throat> on top of, uh, the wall, um, you see this tall soaring figure, um, wearing this, uh, beaten black plate mail, head to toe, head to toe plate mail. Um, and you could see kind of, uh, burnished into the plate, um, which is clearly steel, by the way, uh, is the symbol of House Dauntonthorn. It's an, it's, 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 it's been burnished in with gold filigree, um, on the armor. Like it's a, it's one of House Dauntonthorn's knights. In fact, it's probably Balvenie's Dauntonthorn, judging by the trim and fit and the accoutrements on the armor with this gnar this kind of knurled elbows, lobster-like, a lobster-like mail, huge hel black helmet uh, that the visor is down and he's walking with his torch in hand, the huge, huge, heavy fur trim cloak over his shoulders. The, of course, the, ex the fur is on the inside and the, uh, the tanned side on the outside. Hmm. He has not seen you yet. Well, should we say hello? Uh, go for it. Does it pat you on the back? H hello. Um. Hail. As you as you say this, and you can have lift the lantern uh Bobbany's Dauntonthorn turns down in, in his visored helmet and you see this kind of like almost like he's jumping back a few steps and you see the torch quickly snuff out and then suddenly he disappears into the darkness and you can hear this kind of clattering and clamoring happening with inside Stonehold but he clearly dropped the torch on the walls and has disappeared running away. Friend, friend, where, where have you gone? Come, I, I think we scanned him. I, I know sometimes I can be a bit intimidating, but I, I wasn't trying. <laughs> well, that's fine, let, let, let's find him and uh, apologize for the um, shock. I don't think so. I, th I say we wait. I, coming, into, coming into a castle unannounced is not a good idea. We announced. He heard. Well, we weren't invited, I should say. Uh, well, doctor, we, you were invited, but we were, right? I mean, presently. Oh. Well, yes, one, one should probably... A formal announcement, I suppose. Just, I'd say, just give him a few minutes to collect himself and perhaps reappear. No, maybe it was Hobbs that scared him. <laughs> you look at Hobbs. 
<clears throat> the bear snorts. You wait a few moments, kind of uncomfortably in the cold, and you kind of pull your cloaks around you a little tighter. As it is snowing, big, thick, wet snowflakes. Not, not cold, just kind of wet. As in, when it snows in spring, it tends to be more slushy than actual, mm. like, crunchy snow, unless the wind catches it uh, throughout the day. And then five minutes pass, and you're like, where the hell is Balbany is at? And then eight minutes pass, and it's been way too long at this point. Maybe we should step up and knock. I think we should just give it a holler. Oh, but you'd like Osborne me to... Osborne starts screaming, Hey, oh. let us in, we're cold! <laughs> you can see that the portcullis is clearly raised, like it was never lowered. Um, you can see from, from a, 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 the, the stone towers that flank either side that join the walls. Um, the portcullis is completely raised. Like some great gaping maw with these black rusted iron teeth. I say we step ahead. All right, we're coming yeah, in. Waiting. He's walking in. Don't yeah. don't 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 kill us. We're just coming in out of the cold and wind. You you kind of expect at this point that maybe in a a a, a, a regiment of soldiers to, to greet you at the doors if they thought you were perhaps a threat. But you emerge into this kind of open, muddy, wet courtyard. Imagine like um, Game of Thrones. Uh, what's the name of uh, Winterfell? Like it kind of resembles that. It's just kind of gray and snowy and wet and there's kind of wood and leather everywhere. Um, and there's nobody there. There's no horses. There's no threshing that's been put in the stables. There isn't any carts or other animals bounding around, just broken cobblestone beneath your feet. And you could see that there are a few torches burning uh, almost to their nubs inside the walls here um, to illuminate a way through the path in the darkness, clearly to so Balbanese can get back into the main hold of Stonehold. Um, this tall, featureless, um, two to three-story affair with four faces that looks just like, it looks like a debtor's prison. Um, it is completely featureless, save for this very narrow door uh, that's clearly been mostly shut um, toward this kind of stone stairwell. Uh, but the building itself, many of a regular stone, is flat and featureless. Um, in fact, you'd imagine on a good windy day, you probably hear the wind keening through here. There's nobody here. There's no sign of the dead. There's no sound of life. Only <laughs> Balinese Donathorn, who clearly ran away when you four approached <laughs> in his black plate armor with the gold filigree. The mighty Balinese Donathorn ran from the five of you. Hmm. Strange. Uh, Can I take a look around? Do I have an idea where he ran to? Well, uh, roll a scrutinized test. This test will be uh, routine for you. Hold a 20. Let's see. Scrutinize. Yeah, I would uh, succeed. So, Calvin, your intuition tells you as you look around the long shadows 
in the shadows are long and deep and dark here um, inside of Stonehold. The torches were clearly arranged in a way so that he could find his way back through the courtyard into into the, the main hole, the main dungeon of this place. All right. I think that's the way to go. That's where he ran to. Maybe he's uh, stoking a fire for us. Uh, Brewing some tea? Yes. So maybe, to... maybe he, maybe he uh, thought of uh, being extra hospitable and, and rushed to create uh, a welcoming. Without even saying a, how do you do? Doesn't Some, seem something's to... off. I'd say. Doesn't seem standard, but uh, maybe in the north. When in Stonehold. Hold your stones. Is that? You gotta know when to hold them. You gotta know when to roll them. I was gonna say throw them. Oh, throw them, yes. Is that part of the custom? Are we supposed to throw stones here? I mean, if you'd like, I can probably collect for all of us. But... Uh, not right now. Right now, we'll hold. All right, then. Um, sounds good. Stone hold. All right. Oh. I'll walk in. All right. Well, you um, you begin to walk inside, and you realize that this whole place is 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 pretty Spartan in appearance. It it looks like whoever once lived here took anything of value and absconded away with it. You know that um, this was held by the by one of the torqued lords. Um, at some point um, and they were ran off and as far as you knew there were um, there were people to be found here but mm -hmm. no no remnant of life to be found anywhere up here like there's nobody at all it's very surprising indeed very surprising you see an open door in the main hallway that must lead into the gallery. And you hear sound coming from in the gallery, like a scraping metal sound, like metal boots on the stone. Perhaps. The Lord Balvin is gotten toward the second. As more of an open door policy. Oh no, never met the guy. If you'd like, I can step in and announce our presence, I suppose. Sure. So, yeah. Keegan, you walk into the main gallery? Yes. What do you say as you walk inside? So, um, the guy's name was Dauntonthorn? Balbanese Dauntonthorn, yes. Um, so he would step through the door and, my lord Dauntonthorn, we have traveled quite the ways over hill and dale through snow and sleet to come forth to your, uh, uh, and he looks around at like the broken down keep, uh, hold and bring assistance to tame the great north. The Balbanese Dauntonthorn, as you announce this, and it kind of echoes in the hallway, you can see in this gallery, like it's this long gallery where 
where the subjects of Balbany's Dondothorn would gather. And you could see on the opposite side of it, there is this wooden throne, um, or the remnants of it, I should say, because it clearly had been chopped to pieces with an old battle axe that is still arrested in the, in the seat, but everything else has been hewn and hacked and shattered um, with this battle axe. Standing almost behind the throne is the Balbanes in his full plate, the helmet, the gold filigree, and, and holding this massive two-handed sword in quivering hands and almost as if he couldn't lift it. Perhaps he's too weak. And, and as he drops the sword, you hear this voice that is clearly not a man's that says, by the martyr, uh, Eridane? Uh, hey, help me, she, sa- she says, as she kind of steps away from the, the, uh, steps away from the uh, throne and approaches you, falling up on hands and knees in the lobstered black male. And she says, I've been up here all alone for months, she says, months. You can hear kind of ringing inside of her helmet. I've been up here for months, for months, I say. Oh, uh, get, uh, but, um, help me. He pulls her up to, you know, help support her. Uh, what, what can we do? Uh, where, where did you come from? What, what, who, who are you? I, I... <laughs> we, we set out from Kale Moray and I did not believe we were the first to arrive. Are there not others? <laughs> No, no, they're they're long gone. She says inside of her helmet. They've they've long left uh, Stonehold. To where? Why? Uh, forgive forgive everyone else, my lady. My name is Collinsworth Redding, and um, I assure you, you are safe enough to at least lift the visor of your helmet so that we may make a proper introduction. Oh, please for, forgive me. I. I was only trying to keep myself safe from the northerners. No forgiveness necessary, lady. As I, as I smile, a, uh, a, a cheeky smile. She, so she lifts the helmet off and she's talking the entire time like this as she pulls it off. And, and you can see this woman with this long black cascade of hair that's a bit matted. And in her black hair, there's a single gray streak that runs from her scalp all the way to the end of the growth, like just a long gray growth. And this woman, um, you would guess, is maybe 17 winters old at best. She has pale skin and aquiline nose like any other Aridane woman you would see. But she's clearly still a child, a child in, in at least a child in the sense that of, of her youthful looks, but she's clearly, you know, 17 and she's wearing, and when she kind of pulls the helmet off, she looks almost tiny and small inside of it. Like she was like, almost like if she had stilts inside of her, something like that. No wonder why she's holding the sword so feebly. No wonder why she was clamoring and clattering around. No wonder why you heard her when she ran away and dropped the torch. Like she's just a child. Egan pulls, like, some of the bread or crackers or whatever from his provision pack and, like, hands them to her oh, as thank, she's talking. Thank you, Master. Uh, I forgive I forgive my manners. Um, oh. Master, as she's inquiring as of what your name is, your full name. Oh, uh, ma- not Master. Uh, 
my name is Keegan, Keegan Shook. Uh, you may call me sweets. She says, she's like, my name is Abigail, she simply says. You expect her to say some last, some full last name so you can identify what house she may be from, but it's just simply Abigail. And it seems almost in stark contrast to the Daunton Thornsteel beaten black plate armor with the gold filigree and the sword that's been left uh, at the foot of a throne that's been hacked and hewed to pieces. What is, what is your house name, Abigail? For surely you must have one. You, she, you obviously are blessed as I'm motioning towards her black hair. Uh, she says, um, Stone, she says as she looks around the place. And uh, Abigail Stone. Even though on the inside, uh, Collinsworth knows what stone means, um, he, does, he doesn't break a beat. He says, Abigail Stone, it's a pleasure to meet you. You've, you've, you've no idea how good it is to see other people. I've been here almost out of my mind nearly ready to pull my own hair out and here you come in the middle of the night. I, w the steward has certainly sent you to rescue me, yes? She says, are you uh, going to take me home? Are we leaving? Uh, well, rescue maybe, but take you home, no. But uh, certainly, I mean, it, it did get much better with new arrivals, right? So, and say the others left, where did they leave to? Oh, it is a very long and strange story. Uh, maybe we can retire from the gallery. It is rather brisk in here. There, the, the Lord's Hold in the, uh, in the, upper, the upper keep. Um, we should go there. There's sure. A, a fire, um, warmth. Uh, some food, she says, kind of like trailing off. Oh, yeah. um, I believe we have an old introduce ourselves. Uh, um, forgive me. Oh, pardon my manners. I am Osbert, and he dips into a bow, which turns into a somersault. She clumsy mannering. She 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 smiles a bit, and she gives a curtsy as best she can, although. She is no. She is not born high. Her curtsy is very um, clumsy. But pleasure, young Missy. <clears throat> I am Calvin Linden Reddy. Some call me Cal. Some call me Cal L. It's up to you. And uh, this here is Hobbs, as I like pat Hobbs. <clears throat> My brothers. He can Bears barely stars. contain his excitement. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. word, she says as she looks toward the bear. Even though I adopted Hobbs, it seems that Hobbs has adopted Cal. <laughs> well, please, up to uh, the Lord's quarters. We can speak there, and there is warmth. She looks around the galley that is, it is, it is, it makes you a little nervous how empty it is. Um, yeah. A lot of long shadows. You can see the vaulted ceiling. You can see the huge rafters that swish back and forth along the top. You can see old candelabras that were lowered by rope but were never lit once again. Um, this place is a shadow of its former self. 
Oh, yes. And as we're walking along, oh, yes, uh, this is also uh, Dr. Coventry. Uh, well, it's, um, uh, yes, he says as he clears his throat, clearly a bit uncertain how to handle himself in front of a woman. Uh, and she she will nod and smile and you all follow her up this winding stone staircase and you pass by a multitude of rooms that are either open or closed. Um, this place has been completely ransacked. Um, there's nothing to be found here of value. Um, there's, no, there's no life to be found um, until you get up to the Lord's quarters. And as you come inside, there is a, low, a, a fire that is burning very low. And she walks over almost cantankerously in this black plate armor. And she begins to stoke the fire until it burns very, very brightly. And as the fire burns bright now, you can see her in full light. You can see that um, one of her eyes has turned completely white as well, along with the gray streak of hair. So she starts to like stoke the fire. Keegan like steps forward. Oh, oh let me and goes to to help. My my lord, uh, my lord Shug, my uh, thank you. She says. Or Master, Master Shug, may I call you? No, no, no. no. <laughs> just, just, just Keegan. I said, uh, very well, she says as she, she says, please, uh, I shall, f I shall fetch the something, some food and water. Um, I've been, fortunately, the larders, she says as she's in the other room, uh, for, for, fortunately, the larders, as she's kind of talking, you can barely hear is a little muffled. Fortunately, the larders were full and been so for months. They were preparing for winter. I've made my way through most of the, the food in the kitchens, but she brings out like a hard heel of bread. I've been tending to a stew, but I'm afraid the pot is empty. Um, turnip stew. Good, uh, hearty, uh, but the best I can do now is bread and, and some milk, she says. It's kind of frozen, but um, water... And she produces some cheeses and some and some preserved fruits. This is quite fine, considering the larders were rather amply supplied um, when I um, well, when I had to resort to to resort to thievery. She says it's clear that just judging by this woman, she's clearly born low. She's lowborn. Yes, I am tempted to ask what happened, but I don't know if that's something that you are ready to say. Considering you've been alone for so long, I can't imagine it, that it is something that's enjoyable to talk about. Uh, she says, kind of beaming wildly for a moment, I, I wouldn't say my story is that dire. I mean, given given everything that you see, my lord, my lord Collingsworth, uh, please sit. Let's, let's all sit, she says, as she pulls up stools for all of you in, in extreme deference. Like, she has this servant-like quality about her. You can't quite put your finger on what it is, but she seems very attuned, like in the same way where a servant would, would always uh, attempt to... Um, there's a, there's a specific there's a specific word I can't think of what the name of it is right now, but to whenever you entreat guests 
Um, you try to um, predict what they'll need. So she's always kind of like just a couple steps ahead of all of you when she gives you what you need. Like it's like, yes, exactly what I wanted, what I needed. Um, it's it's clear. Anticipate. Yeah. Well, there's a, in, in Japanese, it's called omotenashi, which is to anticipate yeah. or in service. But um, <laughs> I don't know what it is in, in Renaissance words. Uh, but yeah, she anticipates uh, what you need and is ahead of the, ahead of the game. Um, so she, she sits down and, and you're by the fire and, and she says, um, I admittedly, um, my, my life before here was a bit, um, tough. I say, I suppose you could say we were taken by the torque Lords from, um, you know, a place called cross timber. She says, crash my head. Does it? Ring a bell? Yeah, say do we? Uh, yeah. So Keegan, you know where Cross Timber is? Literally just a few days north of of Kale Marais. Oh yes, of course. Um, we nearly passed it coming here. Uh, Cross Timber is. Um, my family is from there. Uh, when the Torque Lords came, almost gosh, what a decade ago or so, I suppose. I was very young. I was only seven. Um, we went with the Torque Lords to the north. Um, our village was um, was, ran, was was taken uh, by the White Wolf and his Torque Lords, and we went north. My my family, I, as far as I know, they're still in Dunbrood. They're in the northern country still, but um, I had the uh, honor, I suppose, of serving. Uh, a uh, one of the lords, a uh, man named Cull Kinnett. Oh, sorry, my apologies. Mag Mork, she says. Mag Mork. Yes. That's an interesting name. Uh, it's uh, the, the Torque Lords were a um unusual people in fact he, the torque lord uh, mag mork was was once a a prisoner of the genevieve she says hmm. yes um those those jennies certainly are a, a uh, an ambitious crew mag she says, I suppose over time we grew fond of one another, but um, when Magmork went south with Gothson, um, that is the last I saw of him, and I wasn't able to bear him any children, she says, as she looks at her belly. So I was left to my own druthers. I was left in the north. Hmm. Some of these names, especially being Reddings, kind of strike you as familiar. Like you've heard them bandied about, but you don't know precisely by who or in what context. Well, was it Cromwell or Credence that might have known something like this? Credence, I would say. Hmm. Hmm. Of course, we know Chauncey has that, that chateau on that hill. 
Mm, yeah, the chateau. But uh, I wonder what what the last we heard of Credence was. Um, these names that you that you are saying, they ring bells, but uh, they're not quite calling mass yet. If you understand, she she nods. Admittedly, uh, I knew little of Danziger Gothson, but as for Mag, I mean, we spent nearly all of our lives, well, most of my young adult life with him at his side, but we were always on the move, she says, never to stay in one place too long, always to and fro, like, um, like driftwood, like driftwood on the river. Uh, what is the typical marrying age of the Aradane society? Uh, 14, 14, okay. 15. Yeah. Right, so her being 17 and, and talking about being with him wouldn't, wouldn't strike me as odd then. Pro- okay. Probably not. Okay. I mean, actually, let's just adjust that. Let's say that 17 is the marrying age. Let's go ahead and make her 21. Okay. Yeah. He's older than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Mag and I were together for some time um, until he went south with Gothson and he left me behind but that was not here in Stonehold she says Mm -hmm. that was not here in Stonehold she nods no so then how did you come to this place (laughs) well I found myself, I suppose, alone. Um, nowhere else really to go. I um, I made my way to Hivernia, she says. And you know Hivernia because that is obviously um, the country you're in, even though that the Aridane call it the, <laughs> the northern colony. Um, she says, I... I I was in Hivernia, and I stayed among the Dunish. I knew their language well, and over time, I had lived uh, here uh, to and fro. I made my way from Swanton. I spent some time uh, in Kedwin, and eventually, for whatever luck there was, I ended up here alone. Um, I was traveling with a baggage train as a follower to um, uh, to a Dunish lord. I, it's been so long, I barely, I don't even think I knew his name. I don't even think he knew mine. Um, but I was in the baggage train and the winter came and we got separated and I ended up out in the plains, uh, not far from here, just south and east. Um, over time, I, I I thought that I would, having been lost, that I would die. It wasn't until um, I came to this castle um, that I decided to stay. I had no other choice, hoping that the Dunish would pass back through. I knew that the Aridane armies were in the north and certainly thought they would come here. So I stayed, hoping for the northern armies to, re- for the Aridane armies to rescue me. But I suppose it was not to be until the five of you have come, masters, she says. 
but lo, it does not even appear that is so. No, our, our understanding is that, uh, well, Eridane will again attempt to colonize the North and we were to be uh, one such party that would venture forward and help Stonehold become, you know, an actual place again. So we actually expected people to be here already. Mm. Yeah. Goodness. Well, at least there was a person here. Indeed. Yes. No, only only I suppose. She says, as disappointed as I'm sure that is. She lowers her head. <laughs> After looking at these for the last several days, you're a sight for sore eyes. Not only a person, but a, a metal lobster to boot. <laughs> she smiles. I suppose the iron harness was, if only to scare the nameless away, she says, laughing. <laughs> Good thing we uh, we have names then, right? Uh, well, and you're not ghosts, so that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope. Nope. I don't believe so. No. Well, I mean... The Stanhope just went from one to seven. I, I suppose, yes. Gotta start somewhere. What a jump we've had here. Mm-hmm. Like that. Well, I suppose if there's no one here, it's up to us to build back up. Listen to this. I... She kind of leans in her eyes widen. She gets very, very serious for a moment. You're, you're gonna stay in Stonehold, she says? That was the plan. That's why I came here. But, but, but the nameless, she says. Oh, that wasn't just a matter of speech that the nameless are some group of people? Don't tell me. They ride elks. She slowly nods. Oh. Yes. Oh. oh. Well, that's odd. Do you know where they're from? Well, I don't... I can't rightfully say. They seem to travel with the winter wind. They seem to emerge out of, well, nowhere. Hmm. Well, I can uh, I can tell you that they that their number is one less. Mm-hmm. We spotted one on the way here. Well, tracked it down is more fitting as as a turn of phrase. We 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 saw a, a besaddled elk with one antler and mm-hmm. followed a trail of blood off off the beaten path to a uh, stone plinth where. The victim was huddled in the cold, frozen from tip to toe. My goodness. And you're not with the king, she says. She well, we were, we were sent by the king, as a matter of speaking. But you it, don't look like a war party. <laughs> <laughs> you would be right. Quite right. Do we have any sort of writ? That like. No, you were just kind of 
you kind of, like I said, you came out around almost out of desperation. There was nothing else left for you in the South. There was opportunity. Any, like proclamation of like, every man gets an anchor or whatever. No, no, you were just promised, uh, you were promised work in good land if you came to the North to farm, if you wish to do so. In active desperation, there was nothing left for the four of you, or the five of you, including Dr. James Coventry, and you came here. Well, I'm sure there will be much more to talk about. Um, I, I would entreat you to stay here. It's warm. Uh, there, are, there's a bed. We can bring out cots. There's plenty of, there's plenty of um, blankets and pillows, and. Um, hmm. And I know a point of safety if we want to set up a series of watches. I suppose if we simply lowered the port coolis, we would be safe enough. Oh, goodness. I'm afraid that the port coolis is frozen, oh. she says. Hmm. Guess we'll have to let go of that idea. We can set a fire and thaw it out, perhaps. Maybe when we can get wood from the forest tomorrow, she agrees. Right. But for now, yes. we can set up a string of watches. Not yes. the not the ones in your pocket. But <laughs> <laughs> she smiles. Well, I, let, let's do this. Uh, you've clearly traveled a long way. Let us continue eating, and, and we can talk a bit. And then I'll take first watch, and we could split. Otherwise, who's the hunter? Sorry, in the group, or sorry, the scout. The scout was Collinsworth. Yep. So she'll set watches with you, and she'll take first watch as you all kind of divvy your time up. Is there anything you wish to do before you all want to rest? I'm kind of curious what they have in the larder. Uh, she she kind of stops you and says, "I've brought up the foodstuffs from the larder. It's just in the other room here, at least the remnants of what what's left, at least." Right. I'm just meaning to put some of this meat there. You know that way. You know, that way you were able to take off that elk. Oh, in the morning. The larder is actually outside the keep, she says. Oh, the larder's outside the keep. She oh. nods, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, in the, it's in the hill. That's where you, so you can keep the, the, the meat cool. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe there's some salt out there, too. We can uh, salt the meat so we can treat it in the morning. Uh, mm. This skin, uh, I have a place where we can put it, she says, as she kind of looks around desperately in the room and says, throw it over the banister right there. All right. Ah. So Anything since else? She, since she said there was cots to be set up at that point, Keegan would be setting up the cots and, and preparing yeah. the room to make it like little. <laughs> yeah. You find yourself in other rooms kind of taking what you can, salvaging what you can from them. About an hour or so in, you all kind of turn in for the night in this strange old castle keep. Um, and she decides she's going to take last watch just so you all can sleep in a little bit. You've obviously had a long travel here and she seems to be um, well, just concerned. Um, you awake in the next morning and, and you're still in the Lord's quarters and you find that the fire has died down. Um, you're kind of filtering about at this point. Um, she's clearly not in the bed. She must be out in the yards. Are we recovered back to imperil? You recover back to unhindered. Yeah. All right. 
I'll get up, stretch. Yeah. Uh, Keegan starts preparing food and like trying to get things set up and stoking the fire and all yeah. that. Um, you go to where the meats were and they're gone. Hmm. Well, perhaps she headed out early. Yeah, it looks like that she must have taken the elk hide to perhaps to drag the meat to the larder outside the outside of Stonehold. Hmm. Am I able to look out the window? Is it, is it a clear day, cloudy day? Is it still snowy? It's a little bit cloudy. It's kind of hard to really, I mean, it's still pretty early in the morning. Um, the sun is just beginning to yawn over the horizon. You all woke up a little bit early as you tend to do. Um, you're not really sure what time it is at this point being in the north. Um, the sun rises a little earlier than it, where, where it would. Um, you know, you can't see the you can't see the veil in the sky, um, or I should say, the veil is still in the sky, but you can't. You'll once it wanes, it you know, that's when you know when spring is over. The aurora borealis, more or less, the the curtain, but the ethereal veil is separate, separated from the world here in the north. You can see the veil in the sky at night, um, but it's still hazy out in the morning. Um, you come outside, you come down through the stairs and you come back into the galley where she led you through. Um, and you could see that Daunton Thorne's um, mortuary sword is still lying on the ground. Um, but that massive battle axe has been removed. Hmm. And eventually you come into the yards and you see no remnants, no, nothing that would indicate Abigail is anywhere nearby. Um, and perhaps a bit concerned, you can have searched the yards and you search a few of the chambers and she's not here. Huh. When you kind of stir out of bed uh, that morning, um, Collinsworth, you kind of pull aside the covers and you could see kind of literally at your feet, there's a single, um, the single rusted bronze iron torque literally laying at your feet. And Collinsworth kind of lifts it in his hand and looks toward it and looks toward all of you. What do you make of that? I imagine that uh, either someone came and took Abigail, or Abigail is not happy that we're here because she is aligned with the talk lords. It seems a little strange that she would stop you from going to fetch the food out of the other room. And when you go over there to where she said she brought up food from the larder, as you can see, um, there are some unopened packages, like she had been up here uh, eating, but there is not much food left behind. There's not, I mean, there's hardly anything in here. And it also strikes you as odd that she would have milk uh, from the larder as it would spoil in the winter. Um, and you actually find the larder outside the kitchen and it's completely bare. It had been ransacked long time, long time ago. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think we're building our keep with five instead of six at this point. I don't like to believe the worst of people, but... You mean 
six instead of seven as I uh, pat Hobbs. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, I'm so sorry. And he, he kind of bows his head towards Hobbs. Uh, Calvin, as you're on, as you're kind of looking out in the yards off the kind of like the overlook outside this keep, you're looking down toward the courtyard. Um, and you can see um, uh, down below there are a group of five people dressed head to toe in heavy furs and they are armed with vicious looking weapons. One of them's, their shirt is covered completely in bones, elk bones, um, a rib cage. The bones have been fashioned into what looks like rough shot armor. And the person looks up toward you and lifting a battle ax says, Rogue Moke! And then suddenly they begin to storm toward the front door of the dungeon, of the main of the main chamber and we'll stop here for the night. Uh, so that's the end of our first game session of desperation point. Uh, I have prepared nothing at all, at all for this campaign. We're just kind of letting it roll uh, as it rolls. See what happens. Um, everyone, I think we played for what, three hours tonight. So that's 75 reward points. And I think, and do we, would we, and so let's talk about mottos for a second. Would we all agree that everyone used their motto in an interesting way that added to the story? Everybody's laughing. <laughs> I mean, I always find my things interesting. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, like, we were able to provoke some laughter. Do you think it added to the story? Uh, sure. Sure. I well, think sure. we need to not be so obvious next time, but I'm totally down yeah. for it for the first game. Well, be, being obvious is okay, Some t especially in a digital format like this. Being, obvi being obvious and obtuse is a little bit better than being nuanced, if only because digital gameplay has a different demand for the way we interact. Mm -hmm. I think Keegan worked hard. <laughs> I think I think the conversation around Mata's is more a conversation around not just your own but others as well. Um, I mean, did you find that like did you find that it that it added something funny or interesting or intriguing to the story? If you think that it did, then it did. Yeah, I think it was fun how we all were able to try and find a way to weave that in there. What was the moment that 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 happened? Whether we were going to investigate the elk uh, right or not. If you, if you think of it this way, if you wouldn't have invested the elk, investigated the elk, you wouldn't have found <laughs> the dick of winter. <laughs> That's that, awesome. I guess that added to the story. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Such a notable landmark. It's on the map. I don't know if you saw the map. I drew it on the map for you. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm going to look now and roll 20. Oh, you sure did. The dick of winter. There it is. <laughs> so um, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up here for the evening. Um, thanks, everybody, for coming. Uh, thank you to our patrons and listeners uh, this we're doing something a little new, something a little bit unplanned on my part, a little unplanned on everyone's part. 
Uh, we're going to try to turn this into a full-length campaign until we resume Queen of Embers. So I hope this is the first game session of 69, maybe. Who knows? Who knows how things are going to happen in the future? But for now, we're going to play Desperation Point until everyone feels safe and comfortable. So um, thanks, everybody, for coming. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time for episode, or excuse me, game session two. Bye-bye. The Desperation Point. See y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.